1: Welcome in to OutKick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. Wednesday edition of the program. I hope all of you are having a fantastic day wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I am headed out to Salt Lake City and also then to Park City over the weekend. We'll be doing the radio show Thursday and Friday from Salt Lake City, one of the many cities, by the way where we are number one in the country. I will also be uh, on the road next month starting our college football tour in Austin, Texas for uh, Alabama's game against Texas which will be part of the Big Noon Kickoff show uh, on Fox. I will be uh, on uh, Big Noon Kickoff again next season traveling around in the South. Uh, Hope you guys will be able to enjoy that. Obviously, I'm super excited about college football coming back soon. And with that in mind, one of the most famous phrases in my home state of Tennessee is it's football time in Tennessee, which they announce if you've ever been in Neyland Stadium, uh, as kickoff is nearing. Uh, that is an iconic phrase that, is, uh, that echoes around Neyland Stadium. Well, it's early, uh, but I went to a football game already. My sixth grader is playing his first ever season of tackle football. Uh, There's all these debates about what age should you let your kids play tackle football. He loves and has loved flag football, Uh, and so he really wanted to play. It's middle school. He's on JVs in sixth grade, Uh, but uh, but he started at safety on defense and then got to make a catch uh, at wide receiver uh, on offense. So he was super excited about his debut, and uh, we decided to let him play. He wanted to play, so we had an awesome time. The pictures, I believe, are up on Instagram. Uh, they are up on uh, Twitter and uh, and they are up on uh, Truth Social. Uh, big audiences uh, out there, growing a variety of different social media platforms. So, I was really excited. It was a new experience for me as a dad, and he had an incredible time. So, um, that was a uh, that was a fun experience. And so, uh, ch- checked another one off on the, the dad uh, register there. We've basically been to, what, soccer, tackle football, basketball, baseball, hockey. I've almost covered. I'm trying to think of what sport they could play that, uh, that, that I haven't been to yet. And I think we've almost got everything uh, checked off in the Travis boys. So, uh, chess, debate, literally every possible event that you can contemplate. Dance, dance. Uh, we have done them all. So uh, anyway, it was fun last night. Uh, seven game season. Uh, season game one is in the in the books. They lost six to nothing. Uh, the other team got a pick six. Was the only points that were scored in the uh, JV game. All right, uh, Liz Cheney got smoked in Wyoming. Lost by nearly forty points. In fact, she lost by thirty seven points when you actually break down everything. Uh, and look at the data. That's with 95% of the votes reported in uh, in Wyoming. And I thought this was interesting. When Trump endorsed her opponent, congratulations to Harriet Hageman, uh, when Trump endorsed her opponent, Liz Cheney tweeted, bring it on. Uh, here's a soundbite for you. Bring it. That was Liz Cheney on September 9th of 2021 when Donald Trump endorsed her opponent, Liz Cheney then lost by 37 points in Wyoming. It's not the worst of it. She then followed up the loss in Wyoming. Think about this for a minute. Followed up the loss in Wyoming by doing a uh, a speech where she compared herself to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln... Never lost by almost 40 points in any election. And I told you yesterday exactly how this was going to go. But Liz Cheney did an interview this morning with the Today Show where she talked about potentially running for president in 2024. And, and I just I couldn't help but laugh because losing an election, losing an election In Wyoming, which is as Republican of a state as there is in the country. In fact, it's the state that supported Trump more than any other. I think Wyoming was one and West Virginia was two. Losing in that state and then announcing that you are going to run for the Republican nomination in 2024, basically, is like not making your JV basketball team and then announcing that you're going pro in the NBA. In other words, everything about Liz Cheney is fraudulent right now. She has 0% chance to ever be relevant in the Republican Party ever again for the rest of her life, period. And let me just say this. I said it this morning on Clay and Buck. George W. Bush was a really bad president who made an awful decision to take us into war with Iraq. Donald Trump was 100% right about that. We wasted trillions of dollars going to war with Iraq. That was Liz Cheney's dad, Dick, who was making that decision. Trump has done nothing as awful as the decision, nothing else even close to it, as the decision that Dick Cheney made to send us to war in Iraq. So the idea that the Cheney family is some sort of Republican royalty, excuse me, The worst decision that has been made from a go-to-war or don't-go-to-war perspective in my life was George W. Bush and Dick Cheney taking us to war in Iraq. Cost us trillions of dollars. The only thing even comparable to that poor decision has been the Democrats' response to COVID. And I do think the COVID response is worse but Iraq is the second worst disaster of American history in the 21st century, in my opinion, always a very humble opinion. And so this idea that Liz Cheney or her father Dick are somehow defenders of America is just flat out wrong. In the most consequential decision of Dick Cheney's political career, he was a hundred percent wrong about weapons of mass destruction. And he took us to war in Iraq and we wasted trillions of dollars and thousands of lives for zero benefit. Zero benefit. So I'm sorry, I'm not willing to genuflect at the altar of Dick Cheney and of Liz Cheney. And in fact, what everyone should remember out there is Dick Cheney was the most hated Republican in the entire country over that decision to go to war in Iraq and everything that he got wrong there, and now suddenly his family is the patron saints of left-wing Democrats because they don't like Donald Trump? I'm sorry. Liz Cheney got her ass kicked. She deserved to get her ass kicked, and her career is over. Whether she even goes on, because this is what's going to happen, she's going to raise tens of millions of dollars, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars, given how much money... Is spent and wasted on all these anti Trump advertisements now. She's gonna try to run for the nomination in the Republican primary. She's going to get smoked. All Trump has to do is keep pointing out how wrong the Cheneys have been on the most consequential decision of their political lives. And nobody's gonna support her. She turned her back on every Republican. She's gonna get smoked. And she's going to say that she's still fighting for democracy and so she's going to run as an independent candidate to try, to try to spoil Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or whoever is the nominee in 2024 from the chance of being able to be elected president. That's where we're headed here. But the gall and the delusion to be comparing yourself to Abraham Lincoln after you lose your congressional seat by nearly 40 points is next-level crazy. As I said earlier, it's like failing to make your JV basketball team and declaring for the NBA draft. A couple of stories that are out there uh, that I think are important and worth pointing out. It was only like six weeks ago, if you guys will remember, that all the world was uh, focused on the idea that Donald Trump tried to grab a steering wheel and threatened and choked a Secret Service agent. Do you remember when the January 6th hearings were going on and suddenly they scheduled that special hearing? I think it was in late June or early July or whenever the heck it was. I don't even remember. It's all run together. About six weeks ago, maybe. And everybody was talking about Cassidy Hutchinson, I think was her name, and all the blockbuster testimony from her. And then did you notice how quickly the narrative completely changed and shifted to Trump needs to be charged with felonies for the way that he's handled confidential information at Mar-a-Lago? And all of a sudden, January 6th vanished. And now that Liz Cheney has been smoked and the January 6th hearings are over and there was virtually no change at all to opinions in this country surrounding Donald Trump or January 6th, that suddenly the Mar-a-Lago raid is the existential threat to democracy and how dangerous it was for Trump to have the documents that he did in Mar-a-Lago. Don't mistake how quickly that narrative shifted from Trump is going to be charged with the crime and needs to go away to prison based on what happened January 6th To January 6th, doesn't matter at all. This is all about the nuclear codes or or whatever confidential documents are alleged to be at Mar-a-Lago. Again, there's a hearing tomorrow about whether the affidavit will be released. But just note how rapidly the narrative shifts. And this is why the analogy that I keep sharing with you that I believe is indisputably true is they keep saying over and over and over again, they're going to get Trump. Russia collusion, Trump's going away in handcuffs. Uh, remember what would happen with impeachment one, Trump is done. Impeachment two, Trump is done. The January 6th hearings, Trump is done. And now we're dealing with mar the raid, Trump is done. I would submit to you that Democrats and left-wingers in this country are going to end up in the exact same position they were after Russia collusion, which is Lucy is holding the football, The Democrats are Charlie Brown running as hard as they possibly can, pell-mell up to pummel the football, gets yanked right out of the way, and there they are laying on the ground, staring up at the ceiling again, at the sky again. Nothing is coming from this. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. how many of you saw J.K. Rowling expressed support for Salman Rushdie in the wake of his attack and immediately was threatened herself that she was next to be attacked. And I think, if anything, that the Salman Rushdie story has not received enough attention in this country because what it demonstrates is we have moved in the space of frankly, a little over a decade, uh, what feels like, from most people defending Salman Rushdie and saying words aren't violence, violence is violence, to a left-wing perspective that is, if it offends me or if it hurts my feelings, it is violence. Words as violence has become a talking point for the left-wing in this country. And what's important to remember is that that's completely and insanely untrue. Violence is violence. We have so expanded the definition of violence that if someone says something that hurts your feelings, that is treated as a form of violent behavior. No, what happened to Salman Rushdie is violence. People who are motivated to attack others... Based on their opinions, based on their word choice, this is indefensible. And it happened in the Charlie Hebdo uh, situation in France, and now it's happened again with Salman Rushdie. But look at what's gone on in terms of public speakers and the danger to them. We had an attempt on Justice Brett Kavanaugh's life over his words, his opinions in Supreme Court cases. We had an attack on Lee Zeldin, the Republican candidate for governor in New York uh, that thankfully did not end incredibly in violence. And then Salman Rushdie was nearly stabbed to death on the stage and his topic was going to be America being safe to have expressions that sometimes are controversial. It's a big deal. It's a time to choose a side. Are you truly on the side of free speech? Or are you on the side of the argument that words can be violence? Again, it's a really big deal. It's a crucible moment in our nation's history. And I think, unfortunately, that Salman Rushdie's attack is, in many ways, not only the physical attack itself, but a metaphor in a larger context for the discussion and the debate surrounding speech, permissible speech, what is violence. And I just want to echo violence is violence, Words are not violence, and certainly the expansion to the concept of silence is violence, which is what a lot of left-wingers say when they walk around with signs. Speaking of silence being violence, I've been really encouraged. There's a 155-year-old school in Nashville, Tennessee, my hometown. It's called Harpeth Hall. It's an all-girls school. Last week, OutKick brought you the story that Harpeth Hall was considering allowing uh, men who identify as women to apply to the school. They had a new diversity and inclusion policy. And that new diversity and inclusion policy could have led to boys who identify as girls being able to attend this 155-year-old all-girls school. And I have to give credit to the people at Harpeth Hall, the parents, the students, the administrators, the alums who reacted overwhelmingly to let it be known that that was unacceptable. And I think this is important because so many people have become afraid of saying what they really think that craziness has allowed to exist in this country. For instance... Men being able to compete against women. Why did that happen in the Ivy League this spring? Because so many parents and so many competitors were afraid to say what they really thought that this happened. I had this conversation with my wife in the wake of the Harpeth Hall story coming out, and she said, Clay, I don't think uh, that there are going to be a lot of parents that speak out against this because they may all agree with you, but many of them are going to be afraid of being targeted by Uh, the, 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 The woke community, if they speak out against the idea of boys who identify as girls being able to attend their school. And I said, I think you're wrong. I think there are a lot of brave people with kids, with girls at Harpeth Hall, a lot of alums. I think they are going to speak out and they are going to ridicule this idea, this new diversity and inclusion policy. And I was ecstatic. When I saw this letter that came out on Monday night, we wrote about it yesterday at OutKick. This is how you win and fight back against craziness. You have to be willing to speak up for sanity and for basic biology and for your kids. For them to be in a position to get a great education at an all-girls school, there was a reason why you made that choice. It was specifically so boys wouldn't be there. And I think the parents, I think the alums, the students, uh, the girls who have spoken out, props, bravo to them for taking a stand and putting themselves out there and standing up to this absurdity. I was very encouraged by it. Uh, The CDC, opposite of being encouraged. The CDC is essentially, Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, has announced, hey, we basically failed. Our bad. We got this all wrong. Uh, Our flaw, you know, uh, no big deal. Uh, uh, Sorry about that. The CDC admitted that they failed on COVID when it came to information. The next step is actually holding some of these people accountable. I think there should be criminal investigations into Pfizer, into Moderna, and into Johnson & Johnson over their COVID vaccines and when they knew that they were not actually protecting people. I think there should be investigations into criminal investigations into Dr. Fauci. And I think there need to be people held accountable. The people who signed the Great Barrington Declaration and were right about everything on COVID, they should fire all of the top scientists at the CDC for being this wrong on this policy and they should replace them with the signatories of the Great Barrington Declaration. Because... Ultimately, when you are in a position of prominence, all you are really judged on in terms of the quality of your job is how good were you at decision-making. You had all the data, all the points out in front of you, and you have to make a choice. And the CDC director and everyone just about advising the federal government on COVID got it all wrong. And so there need to be consequences for what I believe was criminal fraud on behalf of the COVID uh, shot uh, pharmaceutical companies. I believe there was potentially criminal fraud uh, by Dr. Fauci and his minions in covering up the gain-of-function research COVID-related in the first place. At minimum, however, all of these companies should have their, uh, their immunity stripped and they should be able to be sued in civil courts for liability surrounding the COVID shots. All of their profits should have to be disgorged and there should be severe consequences over this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, A couple of other different details here. Uh, Michael Harris has signed, he's a wonder kid, uh, this uh, uh, 21-year-old kid signed an eight-year, $72 million deal with a couple of options to potentially make it 10 years uh, in length, this contract. Uh, So congratulations to Michael Harris on an incredible debut that is Rookie of the Year-like for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, had a big home run against the Marlins in the end of their series. The Braves have won the first two against the New York Mets. If they win tonight and cut that lead down to two and a half games in, uh, in their division, the NL East, things get really interesting going forward. The Braves still with two more games tonight uh, and tomorrow. Uh, in that four-game series. And then I believe there are three more Mets games in Atlanta, maybe to finish out the season. So that could be incredibly entertaining to follow. Obviously, the Mets and the Braves are both having fantastic seasons. So we'll see exactly how all that ends up shaking out. But I think the Braves, as a collection of young player talent, have the best roster of young player talent, whether it's Ozzie Albies, who's still out with an injury, whether it's Ronald Acuna, Uh, whether it is Michael Harris, uh, and certainly now they have signed uh, uh, so many of their young players to long-term deals. Uh, They just got Austin Riley signed as well. They have got a bevy of their stars locked and loaded for years and years to come. Finally, LeBron James, two-year contract extension with the Lakers paying him nearly $100 million. The problem, of course, for the Lakers is their team, is not very good at all. I don't believe if he plays with the Lakers and if he stays there with Anthony Davis, I don't think LeBron's ever going to win another title. This takes him to roughly 40 years old. At 37, I believe LeBron is going to turn 38 uh, in this offseason. I do not believe that LeBron is anywhere near winning another title. If he's going to try to win another title, he's going to have to get himself traded. And I don't think the Lakers with Westbrook and with Anthony Davis uh, and that cadre of talent that surrounds LeBron is anywhere close to being a championship caliber team. I think LeBron as a major contender is out the window. All right, I'm going to head out. I'm headed to Salt Lake City. Look forward to seeing many of you in Utah. I am Clay Travis. We'll be back with this show on Monday, which believe it or not, will be week zero of the college football season. We are going to have college football games underway in about nine days. Uh, And so that should be pretty exciting on August the 27th. A bunch of games going on. I'm Clay Travis, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. Thanks for all the support of OutKick. I will see you guys on this show Monday. You'll be able to hear Clay and Buck Thursday and Friday from, like I said, Salt Lake City. See y'all.